Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast. Mike Lewis, Doug Battle, Emory University, www.fandomanalytics.com. Okay, so Doug, we're going to continue with our countdown of the top NFL fan bases. This has been out in the wild, in the environment, yes. in the bot-filled Twitter, Twitterverse <laughs> for a week. So before we get to 16 through 1, do you want to give me some insight into what's wrong with me via the social yes. media? Mike, there's plenty wrong with you, and our social following has been very clear about this. So I will just cut to the chase here. The three teams I'm going to focus on that gave us the most feedback from our, our first half of the countdown were Commanders fans, anti-Rams fans, and Buffalo Bills fans, which was not a surprise at all. Um, we'll start with the Washington Commanders because that was easily the, the biggest response we got. And maybe maybe we should have expected that due to them being last on the on the list but I'll, I'll say this half of the fan base at least half of the response we got from them was actually saying yeah you're probably right like i've been to games there's no one there and it's mostly visiting fans there was a lot of that but the counter argument from fans so there, there was kind of argument within the fan base uh the counter argument was that this franchise is a dumpster fire and we're still here, therefore we are amazing fans. One, uh, one Twitter follower, this is uh, JC Stat Stavish, I hope I said that right. He said, is this based solely on attendance? Because this is a hardcore fan base that has put up with a lot of blank from ownership. Based on the fact we're still, still here, I put us near the top. Another person said, to say a fan base that's dealt with the sheer amount of off-field nonsense combined with a horrible on-field product over the last 20 years but is still there cheering for their team is the worst fan base is completely asinine. So, And, and that was um, Alex27N underscore. <laughs> so so that, that was uh, kind of an interesting take that, like, admittedly, we pull for a terrible franchise and the fact that we still do this and put up with this is indicative of how great a fan base we are. I'm surprised. I mean, I assume you've censored things to weed out profanity. Yeah, I, I did my tweets best. And my threatening, best. threatening tweets. Yeah, there weren't as many threats. I think there was some name calling. I yeah. think Mike, <laughs> one, one person said that the, they definitively said these rankings were made by a 16-year-old boy. <laughs> and I, I'll... <laughs> I enjoyed the tweets because you could tell 99% of the people responding didn't actually read the article because a lot of them were questioning, what's this based on? What, oh. how, what's, what even is the method? Is this just some, this has got to just be someone's opinion. This is just a hot take to, to cause controversy and get a Doug, response. My family members don't read the article. My, my brother <laughs> called I mean, it the question reading the ranking it. of the I, bears. <laughs> yeah, it, somebody's reading it because, but I, I, I didn't go through and comment on all of them and say hey uh we explained that in the or mike explains that in the article okay. and in the podcast well, but but a lot of the questions if you're one of those people that's wondering if this is just mike's opinion first off mike's a pittsburgh steelers fan and we had some feedback from steelers fans that thought they should be higher and it's not because mike's biased against the steelers 
Um, I don't think, to the best of my knowledge, the whole algorithm used here has nothing to do with Mike's opinion, and that's what makes it interesting. Is this is this is a quantified, to the best of our ability, version of NFL brands and NFL fandoms. That's fair. Look, the the numbers. This is definitely a situation where we let the numbers speak. I I guess I you know I control for as much as I can to yeah. avoid the biases that the fans bring up. The the point made by some of the Washington fans about their willingness to endure I don't know, psychic pain, perhaps. Mm. I mean, it's it's in some ways it's a leg- legitimate point. I do not yeah. have anything in the model in terms of being a fan base that is regularly called names. Um, is the subject of all sorts of controversies labeled racist at times. So there is, you know, th- there's a hint to there's a hint to something outside of the model there. So I mean, it, th- that's entirely that's entirely fair. I mean, you know, you always have to remember this idea of measuring passion, a purely mm-hmm. psychological thing, an internal thing, is something that's well, it's essentially it's impossible to do. I mean, you can right. ask people questions, but what people mark on a survey doesn't necessarily mean anything. So we're trying to get at the behavior. Uh, my feedback in terms of talking to some folks from Washington, D.C., they can't get off the fact that they just hate Dan Schneider. Well, that that was that was my next point um, going through these tweets. I would say the majority of the tweets, and, and, and this led me to think maybe the biggest fan base in the NFL is the anti-Dan Snyder fan base because the majority of these tweets are saying, there was literally a user with the name. The username was "sell the team." I saw those three words. I think for Georgia, it's it's been said that the the two words that unite us all are "go dogs." I think for the Washington fan base, it seems to be the three words that unite the fan base are "sell the team." One Twitter follower, uh, Mike Kordoski, I'm probably butchering all these names. My apologies. He said, I, "I tweeted out asking the the Washington football fans." What would it take for Washington to turn this ranking around? Because they used to be very high. And this Twitter follower said, it would take Dan leaving, dying, or going to jail, his wife too. So getting into, you know, maybe I should have censored that, but to give you an idea of the passion and enthusiasm of this fan base, that seemed to be the consensus here. And the Washington commanders, I mentioned this last week, that it's almost like the people that most want that team to succeed aren't going to the games and they think that that you know they think the worst the team suffers financially will force dan snyder's hand and and eventually long term help the franchise so it is kind of tough to measure that aspect of fandom the protest fandom and the anti-dan snyder fandom of the washington commanders yeah i I mean we don't need to belabor it but it seems like dan snyder has become Look, I mean, in America, politically, right, you can take almost either side and you're still going to have 50% of the country kind of like you. Schneider has seemingly alienated the anti-Redskins fans and also alienated the pro-Redskins fans. Can we do an approval rating for Schneider and compare it against every president in history? Well, and and the thing is, right, something that doesn't come up a lot in the Twitter sphere, but it happens a lot in class is that the Washington football fans are so mad at the history of free agent signings and draft picks, right? Mm-hmm. So everything comes together. 
Yeah. So, bottom line, perhaps the Washington fandom and, and fan passion is more complex than we're able to quantify um, based on what we're seeing. Fun fact, though, and I was doing a little bit of research, when they built that stadium, FedEx Field, they built it out to, I think they said 92,000 or 91,500 in terms of seats. And over time, they've continually shrunk the size of the stadium by blocking off seats to yeah. the point where they're not even trying. I think they're trying to sell something like 65,000. And so they've got one of the biggest stadiums in the NFL at 90 plus thousand. And they put 52,000 people in seats last year. It's, yeah. it's and, a dead and, fan base at the moment. Yeah. And from the feedback we were receiving, a lot of those fans were visiting fans. And I can say I, I went to a game at FedEx Field probably 10 years ago. It was a Monday night football game between the New York Giants and Washington R-Words at the time. And it was there was snow on the ground, not on the field, but outside the stadium. It had snowed that week. And uh, I would say probably 30 or 40% Giants fans in the stadium. And they were loud because the Giants won the game and were the better team at the time. It felt like the Giants owned the stadium, even with the minority there. And the Washington fans, but this is what I remember about them. The Up in the 300 level, there was snow on the seats and snow in the stadium. People were throwing snowballs. I mean, icy snowballs from the 300 level down at the cheerleaders. And so the cheerleaders were down uh, dodging snowballs. I guess that was a way to express discontent with the team's performance. Throwing snowballs snowballs to the cheer. From the 300 levels. I genuinely was concerned, like... Somebody could get knocked out cold. I mean, that I don't know. Maybe you could kill someone if you had an icy snowball. So it was a very that that level of fan passion was like, let's attack the cheerleaders because the team is so frustrating. That's a lot of passion, even though it didn't show up in the you know in attendance or or whatnot. Okay, and if I had bias in this survey, that snow throwing snowballs at cheerleaders, I would have bumped them up two three places if I was jury rigging these things. <laughs> I'm glad no one was hurt. Okay. Um, the, <laughs> the, to the best of my knowledge. See, we're, we're fair and balanced here. Um, the Bills, feedback from the Bills was largely consistent with what you anticipated, which was that they take a little bit of humor in it. There were several people who said the Bills being at 27 completely invalidates this entire ranking, which that's a fair opinion. But my favorite was Izzy Mars, a uh, Twitter user, Izzy Mars, said Bills at 27? Do all of those broken tables mean nothing to you? Which uh, I touched on last week. We needed to add in number of broken folding tables to the algorithm because Bills fans are infamous for for jumping onto and body slamming people at their tailgates into folding tables, and and that is their that is how they express their passion for Buffalo Bills football. So I liked I liked the human. I liked that 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 was consistent with what you had said. Your experience with Bills fans had been in the past. Yeah, Bills fans and Cleveland Browns fans, they're the the, the funniest fans out there. You know, they just kind of put upon rust belt, cold weather, dreary cities. Uh football matters to them and uh, Yeah. But like I said, it's well, like I said, there's no bias in there, but I do love the response from the Browns and the Bills fans over time. Yeah, and the Bills, like, varying from the Washington football team. Washington, I would say at least half the people said, yeah, I agree, and the reason's Dan Snyder. Bills fans, there there was no agreeing with with Mike Lewis on this one. It was this is this is an idiot, and obviously these rankings are just a hot take. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, I apparently, again, didn't well, read the and, article, but. And fun little pushback. You know, the Bills have been winning uh, last few years, I think 13 wins and 11 wins, maybe the year before that, 11 wins. Uh, the Redskins, or sorry, the Washington football team, the Commanders. Uh, again, the beauty of this, multiple name changes, the confusion that, that occurs. <laughs> to even say it, yeah. And they've been winning, I think, three games, seven games, eight games, that in that kind of range. And the Washington football team, the Commanders, has a million more social followers than the Bills. And and so, again, it's this tough thing, right? There There is that passion but it seems to be very localized that it just right. it just hasn't extended from the buffalo city limit and that's got to right. be part of that's got to be part of fandom when we're thinking about the NFL yeah okay and last team i want to touch on from last week's discussion is the los angeles rams this is the fan base that stuck out to me that fans took it personally that they were ranked so high not because wait what do you mean they, high you mean poorly high Hi, well, here, here. Let me say, like Washington football fans, Buffalo Bills fans, Cincinnati Bengal fans, Jacksonville Jaguar, Tennessee Titan. These fan bases took it personally that the Rams were ranked in front of them. They were ranked so okay. highly um, because, as one person, Ethan McNeil, twenty-two, said, "L.A. has the worst fan base in the NFL, and it's not even close." And so, to put you to see your fan base ranked several spots behind what you consider to be. The worst fan base, the most fair weather fan base in football, that that hurts, and people took it very personally, and so that that was something else I wanted to point out. I think it's reflective of what fandom is, and and how personally uh, people associate themselves with the teams that they pull for. Yeah, and on this one, I'll kind of throw up my. We talked about it. Maybe that's sort of a different product. It's a to be seen in an entertainment product, but you know, if, if one fan base, an LA fan base, is you know, put 70,000 people in the stands and they're paying $120 on an average ticket price and another fan base. And again, it's always like controlling for population, blah, blah, blah. And another fan base is putting 65,000 folks in the seats at $85. You're asking me to capture that, that magic that's inside, mm -hmm. inside heads. And it's all about, you know, the the decibel level of the stadium or the no, broken, it's the folding tables, the, the, the broken tables or the fact that these other fan bases, they refuse to wear dog masks to sit in the end zone. Right. I mean, is there, <laughs> what can you do? Is there like a measure of like alcohol consumed per stadium or something <laughs> like that to measure yeah. the rowdiness? I don't know. We'll have to look into that next year. But Mike, one thing I wanted to touch on with you and something I saw criticized was, I just want to ask you straight up. Did you account for cost of living, say, in Buffalo versus Los Angeles in regards to ticket prices being different? No, I, I mean, I, you know, the median incomes are very different in those places. Right. Median incomes tend to, median incomes and population tend to explain cost of living differences, mm -hmm. right? You know, bigger cities with more wealth tend to be more expensive than New York's, the LA's, the San Francisco's. Smaller okay. cities with lower man median incomes, and I always think of places like you know Memphis or Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. Memphis not in the NFL, of course. In the NBA, and so yeah. you can't you get into a statistical issue of called multicollinearity, where you sort of have to pick and choose what things you want to control. For. So you went you and you controlled for median income. I control for income, and there okay. is a 
A potential pushback on that is that just controlling for median income might not be the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Then maybe what you're concerned about is sort of the percentage of people or the number of people with very large incomes. Right. And so let's say that to be a season ticket holder in the in an average NFL stadium, you're probably looking at someone that makes 150k plus or 200k plus. Sure. And so just to find the number of the people that have that Again, very correlated with these other with these other measures. So okay. going back to something you said, it's a good faith attempt at this. Right, right. I just wanted, I wanted, I don't know. We, there was some criticism, uh, particularly from the Buffalo fans, saying, well, of course ticket prices are lower. We're in Buffalo. We're not in Los Angeles. It seems as though you, you accounted in some way for the difference in, in people's incomes oh, at different locations. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, Doug, Doug the, uh, do you want to guess this, this measure of median income that I'm looking at? Uh, San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley, metro area, and th- these are all pulled from census sources, 112K, okay? Maybe for, that's a household. For a household? For a household income. Okay. And you come up to... Are they including the homeless population in this <laughs> <laughs> the Census Bureau does what they do, right? <laughs> and then if you go to Buffalo, the median income is fifty-eight four. Yeah. So it, right. it, it's double. Uh, Buffalo population is one point one six million for the metro area, and going back to that San Fran- that San Francisco, they're at uh, they're at four point seven million, right? So vast differences, and that's. And what the Buffalo fans are actually getting at is the whole point to the way the analysis is done. Mm -hmm. So their, their insights are good, but that's the path we're going down. Yeah. And, and one other, and I mentioned this to one fan, um, one other counter is that green Bay is in a smaller market, uh, than Buffalo. And as we'll get to, they're ranked much higher within the same, within the same measurements. I mean, we're, we're using the same, we're evaluating them the same way. And when I want to say we, I mean you. <laughs> right. Well, and, and look, Green Bay is a great example. Green Bay metro area is 328,000. So about the third of the size of Buffalo's by population. Their median income is 63, 63, 63.8K. But again, you know, this is where, like I said, good faith, controlling for everything we can. I think the response to that is very quickly, well, Green Bay is not a local market. Like Green Bay has more of a national following and they have yeah. Milwaukee. But the explanation actually makes the point, right? Yeah. That that fan base transcends the borders of their city and becomes this very Wisconsin-focused thing, but also a national kind of brand. Right. And I think the bottom line, getting back to Buffalo, is that Within the city, they probably do have one of the top fan bases if you're just measuring within each city. But we're looking at this from a a global perspective. Yeah. And Green Bay, for example, they're just as deep on a local level, but then their net is much wider as far as the fans that they're capturing across the United States and, and beyond. Yeah. And the other thing you could throw at this, at Buffalo case, and I don't know anything about Buffalo's ownerships. Maybe Buffalo's ownership actually prices low. Maybe they're really part of the community. They're not trying to optimize revenues. I don't. I don't know. So it's the numbers are important. The numbers give us an indication of what's going on. But I totally buy into the notion that we should go beyond the numbers. And frankly, yeah. broken tables actually do matter. But I can't include that in this. Broken tables matter. That's the name of this podcast. 
the all right, you ready to move on to our top sixteen fan bases according to the Emory yep. Marketing Analytics Center fandom rankings? Do you want to go down the list, or you want me to start? You got it. Uh, number sixteen, we've got the Minnesota Vikings, and again, you got to remember we're in the we're in the top half, so this is an above average ranking. I lived in Minneapolis for a few years, and previously they had very much the vibe of the Buffalo fans, maybe even more mm-hmm. so in terms of really going out there. Because Minneapolis has brood, Buffalo has snow, but Minneapolis, <laughs> you're talking, you know, twenty below for a football game. Hardcore population, you know, a lot of Scandinavians going out there and uh, you know enduring the frigid cold. Going inside, I think it's probably actually cost them a little bit in terms of. In terms of the passion, but a solid. I, I was gonna. That was gonna be my first question. Does playing indoors negatively affect? I mean, you you look at the Green Bay Packers, for example. If they were to play indoors, you would have to imagine it. The brand wouldn't carry as much weight. You wouldn't. I don't know. I wouldn't view their fans as as passionate. So I think Minnesota playing inside affects my perspective or or my interpretation of the level of fandom there. If we saw beards with frozen icicles on them it would be a different different story you know what we joked before but maybe including weather but maybe we include average temperature in all this because i suspect that if anything going inside into a dome stadium actually helps the vikings you know it it creates a more casual fandom but it probably helps them in terms of being able to charge higher prices and higher attendance so there's a bit of a paradox there yeah and um so continuing the, the discussion on weather, number 15, we have the Los Angeles Chargers ranked in front of the Rams, which was curious to some people. Um, this is a team that infamously had a very little fandom in San Diego and has recently relocated to a city that now has two teams and doesn't seem to know which team is the dominant team. The Rams just won a Super Bowl. Chargers got a young, promising quarterback. Mike, why are the Chargers so high? Okay. And this is a this is one of these comparisons that really explains how the model works. So if you look over the last three years, the Chargers have won forty two point eight percent of their games. The Rams have won sixty three percent of their games. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one is one of the best performing teams in the NFL. One is slightly below average. Right. Okay, we know that winning is the key thing for sports fans. They're playing the same market, so that is controlled for normalized but when you look at the actual results i'll give you one like really kind of interesting comparison average attendance for the chargers in 20 in 21 is 70,200 something for the rams it was the super bowl champion rams 71,500 oh. so a thousand more fans despite you know, like I said, being one of the better teams over the last Lesser three years, going products. on a Super yeah. Bowl run. If you look at social media, combined social media, the Rams come in at 3.6 million, the Chargers at 3.4 million. So same market, vastly different performance over the last few years, almost identical marketplace results. And so in terms of overperforming, the Chargers, maybe they perform a little bit less well than the Rams, but when you control for winning and et cetera, then the Chargers actually get this much stronger outcome. So I, I think the key here is that controlling for winning. 
the Chargers, in my opinion, have some of the most beautiful uniforms in all of sports. <laughs> I will say they're ranked that high purely, purely because of that. I have always been inclined to, if I had to choose between a team and it's the Rams or the Chargers, I'd pick the Chargers because I love their uniforms. They're distinctive, right? That powder blue? Powder blue. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Okay, Doug, number 14. This is a weird one. We got the Houston Texans. Mike, who are some of the all-time great Houston Texans? Um, Watt. <laughs> one of the Watt brothers. One of the Watt brothers. Maybe Deshaun Watson. I don't know. Mario uh, Williams was the number one pick one time for them. I have already coded Deshaun Watson as a 2022 Cleveland Brown. Yeah. He, I, I don't know. The Texans... This is another one that's uh, looking at the remaining list. This is probably the biggest head scratcher um, as far as I don't really, I don't think of them as a top NFL fan base. Okay. Well, we just Houston's talked about enormous, though, I the will social say. media following for the Los Angeles Rams. The Los Angeles Rams have a long history. Um, they've got, even in Los Angeles and then winning some Super Bowls in St. Louis, then coming back to Los Angeles. Social media following for, as we said, the Los Angeles Rams, 3.6 million for the Houston Texans, which to me still feels like a relatively new team, 5.3 million. So what's that, 30, 35% more social media following for a Mm -hmm. team that, um, and again, the Rams went to the Super Bowl last year. I don't have it in front of me. I've got so many screens open here, but I'm guessing that the Houston uh, Texans won three, four, or five games last year. I have no idea. I just I can't remember them winning anything of significance. I can't either. Uh, they won. I remember Andre Andre Johnson. I remember Matt Schaub. I remember them losing to Vince Young, who they passed over in the draft. I remember, like, I'm trying to think of the most memorable Houston Texans moments. I remember them drafting Mario Williams and not knowing who he was. And then J.J. Watt being a really good football player. Okay, they won four games last year. Yeah. Okay, and so when you look at the marketplace metrics, and maybe this is just a function of football-mad Texas as opposed to football in different Florida or California. Yeah. Really a significant social media following, um, solid numbers in terms of prices and attendance, and, and I'm, I'm not looking up the attendance. I'm going by memory on that, so I could be in there. So very solid marketing metrics, winning four games last year without much star power on the field. Yeah, so for how bad they are, they're doing pretty well Yeah, <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of marketing and, and creating fans. Um, we'll, we'll just have to see. If I'd imagine if a team like that, like if next year, if if their fan base stays the same, but they turn around and win 12 games, which isn't going to happen, but just theoretically, do they drop on the rankings because it's adjusted for, for how successful the team is on the field? If they don't get the, if they don't get the bump up that we think they should. So if they do go on this run and they win 12 games and let's say the social media following stays flat then they would score worse. Okay. 
Gotcha. Okay, Doug, number 13, and I'll announce this one. How does this make you feel? Does this hurt your feelings that the New York Giants... And, and what's great about this, right? We're talking about 13, so we're getting close to the top third of the league. But it still feels like a defeat, doesn't it? it for a franchise as, as uh, historic as the New York Giants and with such a glorious past and hopefully future, 13 does feel insulting. So, and, and having been to a game in the old Meadowlands, the passion is there with the fans. We had people up in the 300s and their amazing accents asking the refs, the referees on the field, if they were blind <laughs> and if they wanted to borrow their glasses. Just, just the classic New Yorker in the stands eating a hot dog, yelling at the ref in his accent. I mean, it, it was a beautiful thing. I think the Giants, I'm very biased too because I've pulled for them since I was a child. I think their struggles, they're, they're not in Washington commander territory yet, but they have had a lot of issues in their management, a lot of issues with their general managers, and uh, particularly Dave Gettleman in the last, I don't know, decade, have not had playoff success in a decade. And I think this is a team that when they're winning Super Bowls is probably top five. And when they're out of playoff contention for year after year after year, I think this is about as far back as they can fall, just purely based on their history and, and their pre-existing fans. So this is, this is 13 for Giants ownership. That's a failure. Frankly, I double-check the results and tri like triple-check them because in general, the Giants have been sort of a fringe top five yeah. in these results. Because everything you're saying is, everything you're saying is true. They are not. I mean, look, they're they're not the New York Yankees in terms of baseball or the Los Angeles right. Lakers, but they have always been like, look, we had the Jets at twenty six, the Giants at thirteen. It's always been even, you know, even a larger a larger difference. But I think what you're getting at is that this, the way you sort of fall in these rankings, tends not to be a massive drop year over year. It's the slow tick down, mm. and yep. the Giants are now, the Giants are now experiencing that. But like you know as well, you you just said it right. If they go on, if if they get things together, they find their next quarterback, or Daniel Jones becomes their quarter the quarterback of the future. They knock off two Super Bowls. They're a top five team without a doubt. Without a doubt, and like as a Giants fan, I I mean I can see how they've slowly fallen back. They're. Back in the Eli Manning, back when they were competing uh, in the playoffs, I would, for me, if I had been 26, I would have probably prioritized once a year flying out to New York, going to the Meadowlands, going to a game, and that would be a huge experience for me. Is it worth it to me now when they're not even in, they're not competing for anything, but maybe the number one pick in the draft? Um, no. And so I think that that kind of tells you it's not that I'm less of a fan, I don't think. And that I mean, I think you have to be kind of insane to be just as enthusiastic when there's nothing to be excited about. And so I think it's it's just it's telling of the success of the franchise. I think fans are less enthusiastic when the team has no trajectory of you know, it doesn't look like they're on the brink of anything. It seems like it always feels like they're 10 years out from competing again. I don't know if you said it, but I, I just looked up the the wins for the Giants over the last four years. Five wins, four wins, six wins, four wins. It's a top 10 draft pick every year. Not acceptable. 
That's not acceptable for a New York fan base. Especially so. in New York. And that's the alpha team in New York. This isn't the Jets. Like The Giants are the dominant team in the biggest city in America. They have a very passionate fan base. We know this. We've seen the articles. We've seen the criticism Eli Manning was under. And that's a guy who was winning Super Bowls um, constantly under criticism. He wasn't winning enough Super Bowls, Doug. And he wasn't winning them in a dominant <laughs> yeah. enough fashion. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the old Stetson Bennett. Effect. <laughs> um, all the teams I pull for that win championships have a quarterback that the fan base does not like. Okay, number 12, the San Francisco 49ers. A classic franchise, in my opinion. I mean, I think of Who Steve do you, Young. That's and good. Who Jerry do you Rice. think of for that? Jerry Rice is probably number one, but Steve Young and Jerry Rice are. Joe kind Montana? Of the two. Yeah, Montana's like, in my mind, I guess it, maybe just because of the age I am. I think of Steve Young before I think of Montana. Bill Walsh. Nope. Uh, but Niners, and that's even in my lifetime, they've had some, they've been on the brink of winning a Super Bowl so many times, even when Colin Kaepernick was the quarterback. Um, I think now, and this is probably telling of the age we're in, I think if you asked any Gen Z, play, Gen Z football fan, what player they thought of when they think of the 49ers, they'd probably say Kaepernick. And I want to look up, I want to look up a quick number here. Harbaugh and Kaepernick and Alex Smith, that core was very close to winning Super Bowls at least twice. Okay, so the San Francisco charges $140 for the average ticket. Right? So this is a this is a team that has performed pretty well. Mm-hmm. And again, in some ways, this is where this gets interesting, right? Twelfth is twelfth is great, right? This is one of the yeah. top brands in the NFL. They're almost in the first quarter. It's very solid. They charge high ticket prices. They bring people in. Yeah, it, okay. And so I'm I'm looking at San Francisco's combined social media eight point five eight point five million. I'll do a little preview. Number eleven on this list is Seattle. Seattle has 9 million combined social media followers. Uh, Pittsburgh has 12.7 million. And I'm just and that's just sort of in front of me here. They're uh right around the level of the Philadelphia Eagles at 8.6. And so solid but not spectacular. And that's what leads to San Francisco's San Francisco's ratings. I'll say this. The next thing we're going to do after we get through the fan base stuff is related to a new quarterback metric that is going to lead into a forecast for the season. San Francisco is essentially my, to me, they're going to be this, they may end up being a story in 2022 that no one pays a lot of attention to nationally, but locally, this one could create a lot of angst. Cause even like last year, I think San Francisco won nine or 10 games but San Francisco is desperately trying to move on to a rookie quarterback. Mm-hmm. And so San Francisco is the team that I'm looking to have the biggest fall next year. And think about what that's going to be like a team intentionally going from a guy that was getting you 10 wins and into the playoffs to maybe going back to a six or a seven win team looking on the outside. Sometimes in the NFL, it's uh, you got to take, take a step back before you take two steps forward. I know the, the giant I going way back. This reflects my Giants fandom. When the Giants went, they went from Kerry Collins to Kurt Warner. And Kurt Warner was past his prime, but he was still good. And and 
he was good enough that after he left the Giants, he made a Super Bowl with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, but the Giants benched Kurt Warner for Eli Manning in his rookie year. And Eli Manning in his rookie year was not a finished product by any means. And I, I felt like they took a step back. And as a fan, you want to win now. At least I did. And some fans could see the bigger picture and say, oh, we're developing for the future and this is what we got to do. You know, Kurt Warner is not the future franchise quarterback Eli Manning is. Uh, but in the short term, it felt like, wow, we could be making the playoffs and instead we're, we're winning six games this year. What are we doing? And I would imagine San Francisco ends up in a similar situation. Um, unless, of course, the young quarterback outperforms most young quarterbacks. <laughs> and who knows? Maybe they're, they still haven't traded uh, Jimmy G. So. Yeah. Something to watch. Okay, number 11, we've got the Seattle Seahawks. This is a fan base that probably feels like we're at least number three. (laughs) And Uh, you know what? (laughs) I I look at this, and in terms of this list of NFL teams and the histories of these teams, Seattle's not an original member of all this. Seattle came in in the... Yeah. Seattle and Tampa Bay, I think, came in around 75, 76. And while that may seem like a long time, that means that your, you know, my father or your grandfather, Doug, was not rooting for the Seahawks, right? No, and, so this and the generational fact, the, part of this story, if you, if fights hard, if you were invented in the seventies and you're ranked in front of the 49ers and the New York Giants, that's that's dadgum impressive um, if you think about it in the history that some of these teams have and the fact that there there is this kind of lineage of people who whose whose grandfather and great grandfather was a giants fan uh like you said you can't say that about the seahawks and so the fact that they've they've become a fringe top 10 fan base in that short a time is downright impressive and uh, you know the reason i say their fans probably feel like they're top 3 much like the buffalo bills fans they're loud. They have the reputation as the 12th man. When they were winning a Super Bowl with Russell Wilson and company, there was the sense of they had an advantage because their fans made a difference in the game. How many NFL fan bases do you feel that way about or have that narrative? And so the Seattle fan base, they're a prideful bunch. They Their stadium is awesome. I have been there. I love it. I always have felt like if I weren't a Giants fan, I would be a Seahawks fan because I like their stadium. I like their whole thing. I like the whole 12th man brand and experience. And so I think they have something special in Seattle. And I think I wouldn't be shocked to see them over time as as they are less and less of a new franchise. I wouldn't be shocked to see them move up, even though looking at the teams in front of them, largely it's all classic, iconic brands that just seem like they will never never fall okay quick response to that so and i'm not arguing with you seattle is one of the most interesting sports cities in america when was it you just think about when did uh when did the sonics leave i want to say the sonics left something like 2007 2000 i was gonna say that was gonna be my guess yeah they left seattle right Major market, ton of money Massive to go to city. Oklahoma City. <laughs> so something has fundamentally happened in Seattle. There's been an enormous growth in wealth in that city, enormous population growth. But somehow, you know, a lot of times cities, when they have that kind of growth, it, it's like they're full of transplants and there isn't that mm-hmm. loyalty to the local teams like Atlanta. 
But Seattle has done something right, and those people are crazy passionate about their soccer team. I was gonna, I was gonna mention that. Yeah, and you know the hockey team. I'm guessing the hockey team's doing well. The other thing about mm. Seattle is, I think this is another team that's also interestingly really poised to take a step back this season, and we'll see how the fans respond when they go from being a kind of an eight and eight team these days with Russell Wilson mm. to maybe, uh, I mean. Drew Locke, um, Baker Mayfield. I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah, not looking bright. But one more point on Seattle is actually I think they're in an advantageous spot, much like the Atlanta Braves are in baseball. I feel like they're not just the team of that city. I feel like they're the region's team. And having lived in the Pacific Northwest for a short period, I lived in Portland. The Seattle Seahawks were the home team in Portland, Oregon. And when I traveled up to Vancouver, BC, so we're in a different country, and you're still seeing Seahawks jerseys everywhere. The Seahawks are the team of the Pacific Northwest. It's largely void of sports fandom otherwise. I think the Seattle Sounders have a pretty big following as well. Um, but the, the Seahawks attract everyone from, uh, I mean, at least, I guess, from Oregon up, but I also think if you go east a little bit, I would imagine it was quite a bit of Seahawks fans as well. And so, much like how the Braves are the home team in my home state of Alabama, even though, of course, the Braves aren't located in Alabama, I feel like the Seattle Seahawks, they're a regional team. They're the team of the Pacific Northwest and even stretching up into uh, Vancouver and, and, you know, BC. And all I can think is if you were the Sonics, don't you wish you were still playing in Seattle? Yes, I think about like if you were starting any sports franchise, any league today, and you're deciding should we locate in Oklahoma City or should we locate in this metropolis that is Seattle with these super passionate fans of their other sports teams, it seems like Seattle is an absolute no-brainer. So that that one to me, I know that hurts people from Seattle, and I know they probably want the Sonics back at some point. And I wouldn't be surprised to see it happen. I actually kind of be shocked if we don't see the Seattle Sonics. I'm not saying the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to return to Seattle, but I, I feel like the next NBA relocation project will probably go back to Seattle because it's just a it's a missed opportunity. It's Yeah, it, and, and it's got to be the Sonics going back. Someone taking yeah. on that name and that look. Okay, yeah. Doug, number 10. Got to throw up my hands a little bit on this. The number yeah, speak. Is... I can tell you where it comes from, but the Carolina Panthers at number 10. I like Charlotte. I don't understand this. Okay, so what's driving this? And again, you know, we we let the numbers speak. And then on the back end, and there's another team higher up on the list where we have to sort of make explanations for why the numbers might be telling us counterintuitive results. My understanding is that when Cam Newton was in Carolina, it was very much during the heyday of social media growth. And so the Panthers have a social following. And again, we've noticed we've, we've revealed the social following for some of these clubs. Yeah. The Panthers have a combined following of over 7 million. So you're getting into the territory of just about twice what exists for the Washington football club. Very much in the, you know, the upper half of the league. And this is for a team that, and again, they've, they've had some ups and downs. But, but Doug, I'll tell you, just as a fan... Without, if I don't look up the records in the past, I feel like they're perennially struggled outside of a few good years with with Cam Newton. And last year with Sam Darnold was a just a, a disaster. And they're, you know, 
Yeah. Um, the Panthers, I'll say this. My oldest brother, Daler, is a Panthers fan. Naturally, I have no idea how he became one. Um, but I have some family. This is interesting, Mike, that lifelong and generational Washington R-Words fans under the Dan Snyder disaster train wreck over the last couple of years, they didn't move because of that, obviously, but they ended up for whatever reason, family reasons or, or business reasons, relocating and living in North Carolina, which is pretty close to Virginia where they naturally, you would think they would keep their allegiance. Well, they felt like, man, maybe this is an opportunity for us to pick a new um, team that can actually flourish and doesn't have the frustrating management until, until this nightmare is over in Washington and they became uh, Panthers fans, and they go to the games, and they wear the jerseys, and they're they're not as diehard as they were in Washington. But it is interesting to me to see like the Panthers are right there, and it's like are they are they benefiting from the fall of the Washington football franchise? Okay, can you really decide to pick a new team? You can't when you live there <laughs> when it's the home team. Now you get tickets from work, and you I mean that I've never done it. I've always wished like as a Giants fan. I love the Giants, but like living in Atlanta, it would probably be beneficial for me to pull for the Falcons just for social purposes. Okay, so some love, I just can't do it. Some love I can't for the Bills it. fans. Can those Bills fans no, no, decide no. to pick and become Jets fans? No. No. Absolutely not. It's not. It's part of who you are. It's like, well, now <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. But Oh, I, I don't know where you're going exactly, but it's right <laughs> up there with, I think, people saying, you know, I've been a Democrat. Now I'm going to be a Republican. And yeah, frankly, you don't see that comes, very often. You know, you, no one wants to say this, but it it feels. Look, I was raised Catholic. When I the speculation of maybe I'm going to stop being Catholic, I'm going to choose a a more fun religion. You know, I'm, I'm looking at a couple of options. That that feels like it's triggering the same kind of discomforting thoughts. And look, I haven't been to church in a long time. That, that triggers the same thoughts of, you know, I'm done with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And even if I don't watch the Steelers very much in a given year, the idea of switching even sounds painful to me. No, it sounds – and it's like if I really – if I decided, you know what, I don't pull for the New York Giants. I'm going to pull for the Rams because I like Matthew Stafford and I went to UGA. And the Rams won the Super Bowl this year. Do I really feel that same joy and and – burden lifted that I feel when the Giants have success or like when the Georgia Bulldogs did absolutely not it's there's no way and so I'm not I don't know it just seems like the Panthers they're relatively new franchise and they've got to get fans somehow so it's either people who aren't pre-existing NFL fans or they're somehow converting Washington football fans or, or fans of whatever region um, in my case it was Alabama my brother pulled for them was a diehard fan, liked Steve Smith a lot. I, I think it's I think their appeal has been these individuals. Like Steve Smith was the guy for my brother. Kim Newton, growing up in Alabama, when he obviously the the Auburn fan base is a cult. I mean it is an absolute I say that as negatively as you could possibly say it, but I also say it with a little bit of admiration. They are so loyal and they are so This is they, from a they, guy that wore shoulder pads and face painted through four years of undergrad. <laughs> that's why I say it with a little bit of uh, a little bit of admiration and when Cam Newton was drafted by the Carolina Panthers I almost think that single-handedly jumped them up the list quite a bit because the Auburn fan base became the Carolina Panthers fan base everybody in Alabama that was an Auburn fan so half the state 
watched every Carolina Panthers game. They all had the Cam Newton jerseys. They all everyone and a lot of them are still Panthers. I I have I personally have friends that are still Carolina Panthers fans post Cam Newton. They became lifelong fans because he was the player at the time. And so that's I don't know if that's their draw entirely, but it is kind of interesting that they're this high on the list. And it's like, have did they hijack the Auburn fan base? I'll, I'll did they hijack the Washington football fan base? I'll speculate something else, and you tell me if I'm a little off. North Carolina is a little bit of a North Carolina is a big populated state. A lot of people in North Carolina, but the cities don't tend to be that large. So is yeah. the Panthers may also be benefiting from me comparing the using the Charlotte market as their home. When in fact they may be drawing, it's sort of along the lines of what you're saying. They may be essentially the North Carolina Panthers. I don't. They might be the Carolina. Yeah. As far as I, I, most people I meet from South Carolina, they view the North Carolina teams, professional teams, as their their home team. That's our team. It's Carolina's almost one state in their minds. So I think they're probably. Like you're saying, like they're attracting a, a wider market or they're located in a wider market than maybe it appears just looking at Charlotte. Okay, Doug, at number nine, this is a brand that should be in the top five. Absolutely. And the funny thing is, it's it's like academic when, when they rate colleges, there's like 20 schools in the top 10 or 10 in the top five. <laughs> but the Chicago Bears should be a top five brand in the NFL. React. They've got they've got the entire formula. They've got bad weather. They've got Super Bowl history. Sort a of. history of sort success. Of. Well yeah, but I mean when I think of the Bears, I think of the shuffling crew. Okay, you know, I think and of that's Walter perfect Payton. because you know what? And again I'm gonna interrupt you a lot probably on the Bears. <laughs> they've got they only got one Super Bowl, but they have the best Super Bowl. They have the best Super Bowl, and that's what matters. <laughs> and so they are the Bears, the shuffling crew. They beat New England by, if it was a youth game, they would have turned off, they would have had a running clock and turned off or turned off the scoreboard. They beat them that badly. And they just had like such a. They had a defensive tackle score a touchdown while not letting yeah, their star running back score. They had so much charisma, yeah. uh, that team. And so. The, to me, that's what I think of with the Bears. So it's like they have this storied history of winning championships, although <laughs> it's it's that's probably an overinflated interpretation of their history uh, from, well, from a again, more casual observer. Some interesting questions on all this. Where does Mike Ditka rate in terms of the most famous NFL coaches of all time? You mean the guy from Ladybugs, and Screaming? I think. The guy from Kicking and Screaming? Is yeah. that what you're talking about? I, don't, yeah. <laughs> I know there was, a, the, there was a youth soccer movie. <laughs> uh, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm referring to. It's with Will Ferrell and Mike Ditka. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where he ranks, but as far as iconic, I think he's number one. The stash, the shades, the vest, that is iconic. That is, I can't think of a more... I think in this day and age, like if he were a modern-day coach... He would have really flourished on social media because just simply because he has such a recognizable brand. It's like the brow or the beard in the NBA. Mike Ditka had the stash. Do you think Ditka could exist for more than half a season in the current environment? As far as getting canceled, and I'm thinking or? about like I'm thinking about like Urban Meyer, right? So could yeah. a guy with Ditka and and I don't want to compare anyone to Urban Meyer because 
that guy seemed absolutely crazy last year. I don't know. I don't know with Mike Ditka. I don't know if he could adapt to the the, the modern day now, environment. This might be. I, I looked this up, and I suspect this might be ancient history for for you. Do you know the Superfan skit from Saturday Night Live? No. Wait. Is this Will Ferrell, or is this a different one? You know, they're they're so heavily. I'm disguised. thinking Will Ferrell like chess team, but that's probably something else. No, it's like I think they even brought back the guys from like Norm from Cheers. Okay. And they're wearing hats and mustaches. This went on SNL for like three or four years, where yeah. basically these guys just walk looking around the table at each other, going "Dub Bears." So you've probably heard "Dub Bears." Bears. <laughs> and and this ludicrous. And again, it it really typifies what's special about about fandom. You know, they'll ask each other questions. Could Ditka beat up Godzilla? Right. And they're doing these <laughs> Chicago accents. And so, like I said, they got everything. They got kind of these. Almost the equivalent of like these end zone dwellers for the Browns or these icicle bearded guys for the for the right. old school Vikings. They've got that hardcore fan base. They're in a you know one of the great American cities. They've got icons. They've got Ditka, but they only finished nine. Well, they're they've got a bad history of quarterback, and we've talked so much about how that's the the position that is most important in football, not only for success on the field. Last but great for Bears quarterback, Doug. Justin Fields. Just kidding. That's the next one. (laughs) (laughs) I could not tell you. I remember the last Super Bowl I saw them in. The quarterback was Rex Grossman, and he was horrible that year. He was horrible his whole career in the NFL, and their defense was so good that they still made the Super Bowl. That's the Bears. That is their legacy. That is their image. And until they find they're Patrick Mahomes and maybe it's Justin Fields. Maybe he turns it around. I think they're stuck in an NFL fandom purgatory as far as their ranking. I think this is kind of where they, Top where they 10, belong. Though. 10. Yeah. Yeah. Not purgatory as in, they're not going to be 15 or 20, but I think this is kind of their spot until they find a, a fit like Cam Newton for the Panthers. They, they had an elite quarterback for a short stint, but it elevated their whole franchise from a, from a marketing standpoint. And so I think the bears need that. I think they're hoping Justin Fields will be that. Although I, I think people are a little bit more sober minded about his prospects moving forward. Okay, Doug, let's wrap it. Uh, let's wrap it up for this week. Next week, we'll go through the top quarter of the league. Anything else on your uh, sports radar this week? NFL, uh, NBA uh, playoffs are getting deep. Well, yeah, sports radar, NBA playoffs. I'll say this: it's uh, Luka Doncic is is fantastic to watch, but the Golden State Warriors are just they outclass the Mavericks in so many ways, um, from coaching to just depth as far as their roster. That it's really hard to imagine Dallas being the first team to come back from a three zero deficit. So it's almost a lock that Golden State's can be in the finals, and I don't see either team in the East. Um, maybe I'm wrong here, but I don't, I don't feel like either team in the East is, is going to really challenge them. So there haven't been a lot of great series this playoffs. And I think it's hurt the NBA. I think that people have largely been disappointed by the lack of close games and lack of close series. Um, most games I've turned on have been blowouts. I've watched quite a few games here recently and I enjoy it, but the bottom line is you got to have those game sevens. You got to have those buzzer beaters. We haven't had that. And it doesn't look, I can't imagine a Heat versus Warriors finals or even a Celtics versus Warriors finals giving us that at last. And so we'll see what happens here in these next couple of weeks. I think Boston, Miami is probably the NBA's best shot at having a really great series. Um, although I don't see the winner of that winning the finals. I think the Warriors got it on lock. Those are my thoughts on the NBA. 
you know what? With everything that happened has happened in these playoffs and this, you know, sort of turning over and changing of the guard, I have to admit I'd be a little disappointed for the Warriors to win the NBA I championship. I won't be, Mike, because last year, and I'm going to link this when it happens. I wrote an article about how the Warriors <laughs> were due for their last dance. Clay Thompson got hurt. It threw my plan off, but now I can say I called it with him back in the mix. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Outside of sports uh, in my fandom world, we've got two big things coming up this week, of which I am very excited for. The first is Obi-Wan, the Disney show. A um, little bit nervous for this one because Disney's record with ruining fan favorite characters such as Boba Fett or Luke Skywalker. But nevertheless, we're getting some of my childhood favorite characters back on screen for the first time in just about 20 years I think 17 years for, for Obi-Wan. Okay, Doug, do you and, want me uh, to resubscribe and watch this series? Are they dropping the whole series in week one? No, it's they're doing one week at a time. They're doing one week at a time. But if you want to resubscribe, I will... Just send me your password offline. Well, I was going to say I'll use your password because I currently don't have one. Um, we'll discuss this later. Stranger Things is the other big story to me. Stranger Things season four. It's been a long time coming. The pandemic delayed. Can't, I, Doug, I can't do that one. Aren't those kids like 22 now? Yes, but Mike, they're fantastic. Okay. They're fantastic actors. They're fantastic. In real life, uh, Millie Bobby Brown has more charisma as a child when she was a child than any child actor I'd ever seen. And I haven't really kept up with her career as of late. I know she's grown up quite a bit. And, and I've enjoyed watching these kids grow up. It's much like Harry Potter. It's kind of the modern day Harry Potter. We've watched them grow up over the course of the story and it's coming to a close very soon. And I think the fandom world is going to reignite over stranger things, which was once a national phenomena. So I'm excited for that as well. Also releasing on Friday. Okay. Here's what I'm willing to offer you. I will watch the Obi-Wan series and we can do a special edition on that one. Four seasons of stranger things. I can't do Mike. You're missing out. I'm telling you, okay. you it's your loss. I'll trust it's your you. loss. I'll trust you, but that's too much. Maybe it's maybe deeper loss. in the summer. Okay, the last thing, loss. the thing I want to end with, and thank everyone for listening, is every once in a while things come up in this con- in in this context of doing the podcast, and I don't know, you know, before I say it, I don't even know where it's going to go, but I do. I'm a little bit amused by myself that I think I'm probably the only faculty in America that basically endorsed throwing snowballs at cheerleaders earlier in today's episode, Doug. I'm not sure that I feel good about that, but it is where we're at in 2022. <laughs> that is absolutely where we're at, and that pretty much sums you up in a nutshell, Mike. Okay, so thanks, everyone. More content at www.fandomanalytics.com.